Welcome to Life on Less Meds, a podcast that reveals the truth about drug side effects and the best strategies to manage them. And now your host, Dr. Yosef Wittering. Okay. Hi, I'm Dr. Yosef Wittering. I'm really happy to be joined by Matt here today. This is uh, another interview in the series that we're doing on PSSD. Matt suffers from PSSD and he is uh, here to talk about his uh, experience with it so we can all kind of learn more about the condition. So, Matt, I'm going to turn it over to you. Please please uh, tell us what happened to you. Okay. So, <clears throat> 2019, this is after a pretty um, extensive history of psychiatric treatment over the course of most of my life. Um, but in 2019, I was again in a pretty low spot and I had not taken any medication in I, I don't, it had been years, you know, and for whatever reason, I had kind of sworn off medication. Um, but I was desperate enough that I was considering trying something again. And the, the funny thing here is knowing myself and my hesitance about medication. I said, look, if I know, if I know what it is, I'm going to look it up and I'm going to freak myself out and I don't want to mess with whatever. So I said, I'm just going to trust my doctor, whatever he thinks. I might benefit from i just want him to prescribe it for me and i'm not even i don't even want to know what it is so mm-hmm. and he had um these and i think of course you know i i saw the name but i refused to look it up i'm like all right we get the little sample package and i was noticing uh cognitive benefits you know i it started to kind of lift me out of this low spot that i was in i'm like wow this is great like i can focus on stuff better and you know, seemed to be going pretty well. And let's see the complicating factor here is. Well, let, let me, let me oh, ask you a couple things first. Yeah. What was the name of the medication? Rexulti. Okay. And were you taking any other meds or was that the only psych med? That was the only psych med I had sporadically. I had um, propranolol and alprozolam, but I was on those as an as needed basis. So those were and Alprozolam, I hadn't take. I only take one of those maybe every six months or something, you know. So that was yeah. the only medication I had been on in probably at least a couple okay. of years. Any any medical problems at all, or are you otherwise healthy? Um, as far as I know, you know, otherwise healthy. So I didn't have anything um, diagnosed. Um, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. So sorry. Please, please carry on. So. You're noticing like at least some cognitive benefits from the Rexalti. It's kind of lifting you up out of what I'm assuming was depression. Was that the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, And as I found later, you know, so the primary uses for that medication um, are schizophrenia and then major depression. And funnily, it's mm-hmm. an, I didn't know this, but an adjunct therapy usually for depression so typically they'll have you on an mm-hmm. ssri and then use rexalti also but i was just on this and nothing else now i it's funny it's bringing back some memories because the first thing i noticed and i don't think i connected the dots at the time um because i think you know someone had also recommended cbd and i was taking a low amount and but it was the same time as the rexalti so then i'm thinking about it later and I said, man, this really bizarre bodily sensations I was getting. I don't think that was the CBD. You know, it's like it's as I was adjusting to the Rexalti. Um, I just noticed 
I started feeling really weird. Like I had this like almost body high kind of sensation. Um, and it took about a week for that to kind of pass. And I, I, you know, I just kind of, it freaked me out a little bit, but then as it passed, I said, okay, well, I don't know what that was, but Mm -hmm. so let me try to be succinct here. So I was in a depression after there was a lot of things that happened, but one of them was a, you know, relationship had ended, you know, very common, you know, trigger for a lot of people for depressive episodes. And the same partner I had been with, um, you know, occasionally we would still get together and hook up. And I was, now I was mentally distraught about this. You know, I was like, oh, I want to be back in a relationship where I had all the, and I had all these other issues. But mm-hmm. the interesting thing and where I started noticing the problems this has been going on for a couple of years before I, you know, got on the medication and she comes over one day and we're hooking up and I said, okay. And now I noticed for the first time, this is probably within about five to 10 seconds, I ejaculated and I had no control over it at all. And it was just kind of like, and not a and not like a powerful sensation it wasn't you know like if there's a build up mm-hmm. sometimes you'll feel more m- more of an experience with orgasm this was kind of just like okay this happened really fast and it was just like my body's reacting this way and the sensation was also very diminished so i'm and, like and okay the, well, let me ask you this how soon did you notice this after starting rexalti so let's see i would say within Probably within about, I want to say one to two months of of being on it, and okay, so pretty early on. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I remember we kind of titrated up. You know, I I don't remember the starting dose, but it was a very low. Um, they had a sample pack basically, and I don't remember what it was. Maybe a half a milligram, or it was a very that, yep. low amount. That's and a starting I, dose. Yeah. Okay, it is okay. So I started on whatever that was. So if it was half a milligram, and then I don't know how much I went up. I think we increased it maybe two times so you know by the time i had completed it after oh i don't know six to eight months or so i think i had gone up to over a milligram you know whatever the final dose was but i think i started noticing the issue after titrating up a couple times so because it was within the first month i think i had gone up a couple doses it's like you know check back like in a couple weeks and then it would go up a little bit a couple mm-hmm. weeks later and how are you feeling and i said well i'm feeling okay now so to clarify the premature ejaculation was the first thing i noticed and the confounding factor is my psychiatrist reminded me he goes well you know didn't you had mentioned this before in a therapy like you'd maybe wanted to try something and that was kind of frustrating because you know like i know my body and i can't communicate that like yes i i my perspective on what premature ejaculation was prior to this completely, completely different, you know, and even my uh, ex-girlfriend had commented when I asked her, she's like, no, yeah, this definitely was not, you never had, this was never an issue before where it was like. <laughs> so are you saying like, you know, it's the difference between like, like being like, oh, I'm up, I'm upset because I'm only lasting like three minutes before. And now like, I mean, you kind of go like immediately you know upon like you know not even entry or like you know you know kind of just like at the beginning of it like within less than 10 seconds kind of thing like that kind of difference yeah yeah yep and it was oh and it was yeah immediate um 
so yeah because my you know sex life before now again she had the only partner i had been with you know so as far as intercourse goes that's my primary experience but we were in a relationship for about three and a half years and it, you know it was funny because i remember the very first time we ever had sex i'm like if this is evidence of like a lack of prior dysfunction it it was great and this was the first time i had ever had sex and like i didn't it didn't even occur to me to try to like you know think about something else or try to distract myself or oh i'm gonna i'm worried about ejaculating like it was never even on the radar for me as an issue and even in the relationship um you know and i had brought this up in therapy where i was vaguely considering an ssri and this is long before I didn't, by the way, I never heard about PSSD at all until after, you know, this happened. So, but I was still hesitant about taking it. But anyway, um, yeah, the premature ejaculation was really, really bad. And that was, um, it, it's just, it's impossible to even explain like the, the difference. It was like, this is before even penetration. And you know, they say, oh, if you last like a minute or less, I'm like, man, like even if i could have lasted a minute that would have that would have been like a, a miracle and i remember mm -hmm. you know it's like we'd have like average people it's like we might have sex for 10 minutes or you know 20 minutes whatever you know back when we were in a relationship and so that contrast to where even while i was depressed and i messed up about the relationship ending it's like we're still hooking up after and it was still good you know before this medication you know i was like okay we'd um again no issues like outside of the emotional distress or whatever else i was going through um performance wise nothing you know there's absolutely no issues so mm -hmm. and i noticed it too even um it's hard to say whether it was just bad and stayed at that level or if it got worse over time because i remember things like i had never um had that level of again premature ejaculations was totally foreign to me where again sex was it was completely impossible um it was even to the point where i didn't even want to put the condom on to try because i'm like even unrolling the condom might make me ejaculate it was like and and here i'm thinking this is somebody that knows me pretty well and we had been in a relationship for years and i'd known her for many years so and i'm barely getting through that and she would get kind of frustrated even knowing that this is an issue I'm having. Um, this is the other thing that's frustrating with the PSSD and the lack of recognition is the tendency is to kind of pin it to a psychological factor, you know? And I'm like, well, no, this is part of the reason I have no shame talking about it is I see this purely from a neurobiological perspective. Like I don't look at it as a mm -hmm. personal failure. Like, oh, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I'm ejaculating too quickly and I have no control over it. Cause I'm like, to me, it's not, it's not my fault. It's just a, this is like a medical condition, <laughs> you know, is how I see it. Sure. And so let me ask you this. So, so you, you have this, you, you know, you ejaculate very quickly. Um, and then what else did you notice? What, what, what were the other changes aside from that? So, um, it sounds like weak orgasm was one, like it wasn't as pleasurable, right? Yeah, and that would tend to go hand in hand. So um, with the premature ejaculation is that if I didn't stop myself and like remove myself from the stimulation, it's like I could ejaculate with even half an erection where there would be almost no sensation at all. Um, and now I did want to mention this. 
before I forget the name, because as far as my other experiences, I did a lot of reading and there was this, uh, here we go. It's called Handbook of Clinical Sexuality for Mental Health Professionals. And I was reading through that and um, with premature ejaculation, they talk about lifelong and secondary. So I was so fixated on just the ejaculating too quickly that I wasn't paying attention really to the other symptoms. Like I think one that I'm still contending with and I still obsess about is erection quality. Um, this is coming from someone who prior, like I actually had the opposite issue. Like my erections would be so hard. I thought there was something wrong with me. Like I didn't, it was like that. It was, um, and there is, you know, the fact of, um, circumcision, you know, like most men in the U S you know, born around when I was, I'm circumcised. So sometimes there would be a little, like the skin would feel kind of tight I'm not going to say it was painful, but it could be a little uncomfortable, you know, to have like a full erection. Cool. And anyway, that was, um, you know, one thing I noticed, which has actually more recently become a problem. Um, so, you know, like you've noticed that you don't have that anymore now, like, yeah, that, the, yeah. And it's, and this is again, over the last four years. So this started in 2019 and it's been some of the same experiences and then just stuff I never experienced before, like within the past year, um, erectile dysfunction. And I, I would pin that together with like this feeling of not being able to get a full erection, you know, and uh, one of my mm. friends I talk to regularly that he, he doesn't have PSSD for whatever reason, he has developed premature ejaculation a little later in life. And it, it, through our discussions, it kind of got me thinking, okay, there could also be a link there with the weaker erection, um, you know, cause you might, your body might be tensing that muscle to try to kind of pump blood into there and get a fuller erection that might lead to more sensitivity. But anyway, um, okay. The, the most critical other factor outside of this and I like extremely severe premature ejaculation. I'm kind of in a, oh, I weirdly in a little bit better of a mood today. So I don't want to undermine how devastating that alone has been. Um, just this thinking like I physically cannot have intercourse like it's or anything really. Um, and, and, and let me ask you this. I mean, um, like, are you able to get a full erection or do you just kind of ejaculate, you know, if it, if, if you get to that point of arousal or is it like, you know, how, or is it really like, it, it has to be triggered by like a stimulation. So, um, <clears throat> the erectile problems have been more recent. So that's probably within the last year. Um, so I do want to preface my answer by saying that the first, from what I can recall, you know, the first few years, it's like, I think I was still able to get a full erection. Um, that seemed to be okay. And it's mm -hmm. just progressively over time for whatever reason, you know, um, especially the last year. And I was on a short round of prednisone, which oh. totally, I don't know if that by itself seems to be able to cause something, but I wondered, man, um, if that had some interplay with the condition I already had, because it took me like probably six to eight months after being on a round of prednisone to come back to being e even able to get um, full erections. And now it's kind of, Okay. That's on the fence. And also the um, complete lack generally of uh, morning erections, like those just disappeared like 100%. Like that, I very rarely, if ever, 
um, you know, wake up with erections anymore. And so it sounds like you, you, you were going to say that there's a mood component as well, right? You know, that you're in a good mood today, but, um, it sounds like normally you're not, you know, it was what I read into that. Yeah. 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 And the, um, and I do want to fully answer cause I forgot it's not, uh, um, let's see for the symptoms and what else I experience, uh, sexually, I was not familiar with this term, but they call it um rapid detumescence, you know, so how quickly you lose your erection after ejaculation. Mm-hmm. And this isn't something I had ever heard of before. And I don't even know if beyond detumescence, there's a medical term. So this is one of the key components that also goes hand in hand with the premature ejaculation for me, because the loss of erection is immediate. It's immediate. Now, Sometimes I'll be able to mostly, you know, finish ejaculating and then it's just gone. But for the most part, and I especially remember um, with my personal history, um, you know, I would stay erect for I don't know how long. I mean, certainly at least probably 30 seconds, 45 seconds, maybe a minute. And occasionally I would ejaculate and then I wouldn't lose my erection at all. Mm-hmm. And then be able to go again. And it was like, especially if I hadn't masturbated in like a day or two, which for me, that was, um, that was just regular practice, you know, whether that was, you know, a bad habit or not, that was, that was pretty average for me. And the next day I'd be pretty, you'd be fine. Yeah. No, I would no, be no. perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. Like it, it almost reminds me of times I would, it's like I did it too much in a day. I mean, I, when I was younger, you know, it's like a coping mechanism, but it's like, you're trying to masturbate too many times in a day you know it's like you get to this point where it's like there's not really any sensation and stuff is not working as well it's like that that sensation is there immediately after ejaculating now where it's like i would still be able to kind of get back into it and this is when i read from this uh handbook again the handbook clinical sexuality for mental health professionals they say here lifelong premature ejaculation is more than an early ejaculation and then he goes into the key tenets which are he calls it a hypertonic state like you get way too easily aroused the second one is obviously the early ejaculation then the rapid loss of erection upon ejaculation and what he calls the neurobiological inability to get aroused enough to have sex again in the same session so and that's and, something i had never dealt with before and so it sounds like you really see yourself in those in those criteria that you know, that you took the medication and you've developed, I guess, what's described in that book as lifelong premature ejac- ejaculation, meaning, you know, and what, what that sounds like is a form of premature ejaculation, which someone is born with and they, and they always uh, experience, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they make yeah. a distinction there between men that have acquired it later in life. And they said the they only get the um, rapid ejaculation. They said they don't have the excessive arousal from the beginning, and they also don't have this um, rapid detumescence and the inability to perform again in the same session. Now, you know. so I was going to say, so we're talking a lot about PSSD, but um, I guess you know what you describe almost sounds like you know, this hypersensitivity there, you know, everyone's describes in the community, a lot of them are talking about, you know, how hard it is to, to ejaculate. Like they're, they're trying to focus everything 
that they can to even be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, do you see yourself as more like ESSD or like PGAD, like a persistent genital arousal disorder? I don't know if you've kind of, uh, you know, where do you see yourself in that split? Because the medications can cause both. And and honestly, actually, mm-hmm. I haven't spoken to people with, 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 with PGAD before, so I, I, I don't really have much to compare that to. Right. And it is. So let's see. So I don't have any persistent arousal. I would say this is, so it is based on a sexual stimulus, you know, and that will, that will trigger, um, you know, how do I put it? So I, I, I would personally identify more with PSSD on the level that even the hyper arousal, it almost seems like an out of control reflex, if that makes sense. So rather than, and my uh, general sensitivity seems the same as it was before, you know, with the difference that sometimes, again, if I don't control and hold back on ejaculating and I just let it happen, the sensation is virt- almost nothing. You know, it's almost nothing. It's like I can feel myself ejaculating, but there's virtually no sensation of orgasm. Mm-hmm. And I see. Now, there have been times, and uh, this is also worth mentioning, is that as a result of getting into this, you know, I've heard about semen retention, and I'd never even considered it before, but I was drawn to it because ejaculating became so distressing to me psychologically that I just didn't want to do it anymore. I just would get to a point where I'm like, I'm trying to like, you know what, I could be affected by this, whatever, I'm just going to try to like, let go. And just try to enjoy myself and it's like it wouldn't it's like impossible to ignore i'm like this whole like i can't there's no masturbation or sexual activity without this hyper focus on avoiding ejaculation and it's not even um it's not out of shame or you know even a psychological again like shame it's purely Mm -hmm. like this doesn't even feel good for me i'm like i don't want to ejaculate it's like my body's having this reaction and if I allow it to happen as quickly as it naturally would, it would just, it would be pretty muted. You know, again, it's like, it's like the worst orgasm. It's like, there's almost no sensation. And then it could even be sometimes like halfway through ejaculating, I'd be almost completely soft. Yeah. yeah. And so let me, so, okay. So I think we've covered like the, um, the sexual symptoms in particular pretty well. Do you feel like you've had, other symptoms aside from sexual ones well and then yeah 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 yeah. tell us about that so now again here's a whole bunch of differences because i was working out it took me a while um to get into an exercise routine after stopping the medication because one of the actually and what i told my uh, psychiatrist I don't even think I mentioned the premature ejaculation to him because I just assumed he was it wasn't going to be taken seriously. But I was starting to feel very tired and fatigued. And I had been, again, not super active, but I had a workout routine going, you know, at least a few days a week and I would feel pretty good. And I just started noticing this extreme fatigue, just like completely tired just all the time. And I was like, it's really hard to get myself to will myself to do anything at all. And again it's been a long four years so it's hard to pinpoint when that started to improve because i you know i had gotten a little bit back into working out but i don't think it ever returned to the level that it was anywhere near before that 
Um, let, let me ask you this. So, you know, given that you've suffered from depression in the past, what was the quality of the fatigue that made you suspect that, hang on a second, this doesn't seem like, you know, the symptoms of depression that I've known before. What was it about that that made it stick out and seem different to you? So the big thing, and this is a weird uh, kind of cognitive dissonance, is I was actually feeling like I wasn't depressed. I'd be like, I want to work out. I'm like, I'm actually feeling pretty good. And my body's just not not cooperating. I'm like, I, I couldn't do it. And it's like, if I tried to like even do push-ups or pull-ups or whatever, I would start getting dizzy. I'm like, okay, this is just not, this is not going to work. So, so the difference with the depression is that that's just like a pure, like, you know, I'm in bed. I don't want to get out. Like, what's the point of even getting out of bed versus like, okay, I'm kind of, you know, I don't want to say mentally alert, but I'm feeling like, okay, it's just your average day here. I'm getting through the day. Okay. I want to go work out. And it's like, but my body's just dragging behind. So the psychological component was missing and it's just. That was sure. purely physical. That makes sense. Yeah, it was like like isolated and didn't make sense. And and so, you know, so two months into it, you start having this, um, the premature ejaculation and the sexual problems. When did you start suspecting that maybe this was a medication side effect? So, um, as I first mentioned my hesitance in taking it, I said, I'm not going to look anything up. Yeah, actually, um, tell me about that. Why Why were you hesitant about even going back on medication? What had happened to you before? So, and here's an interesting thing. So, with my medical history, um, I was probably about 13 when I was first went on Lexapro. So, I actually was on an SSRI for a, a number of years. Um, I was on Lexapro and three of it was Lexapro, Buspar and Zyprexa all around the same time for at least several years, you know, as an early in my teens. And, you know, I can't remember if I had done research at that age, maybe about, maybe when I was about 16, 17, when I started thinking, I want to get off of this stuff. Um, Cause I can't remember again, my hesitation with medication I know for one thing, the Zyprexa, like I was just feeling zombified and I didn't even really fully connect the dots with that until I had stopped taking it. Um, so I think part of my early experiences with medication made me suspicious because I said, man, this Lexapro, I don't remember. I mean, I I will say this much, you know, my history of um, self-injury and suicidal stuff, you know, that seemed to start, not that I wasn't depressed, you know, I was on Lexapro for a reason. But I suspected that the Lexapro might have had something to do with that because like I didn't at the time, you know, this was back like 2004 or something like I didn't know anybody that did any kind of self-injury. I had never even really heard about it. I just kind of spontaneously started doing it. And I'm like, how does that happen? <laughs> you know, and then I see these ads later as a, as a in my early 20s as an adult um, talking about, you know, adolescents or young teens, you know, having these adverse reactions to antidepressants. So that was part of my bias was I had suspected, you know, that they had played a role in um, previous problems I had had earlier in life, you know, and the Lexapro is a bit more abstract with like connecting, you know, self-harming behaviors and all of that, where the Zyprexa, I remember definitely, it did help me sleep. But then I remember like I would just sleep through my classes in the morning at school because like I take this stuff at night and I would go to school and I just come into school and my head's down and I'm just like, I can't even... 
<laughs> it's like maybe wake up by second, third period. Um, so that was part of my hesitation was not only prior experiences, but, you know, just, I guess, being um, a little suspicious, like not knowing enough. Well, I'm like, well, I don't really know what this is. So how how could I know how it's going to affect me? So uh, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you felt like the Lexapro made you suicidal and then Zyprexa just knocked you out to the point where you said you felt zombified. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me why you'd be hesitant. But so, yeah, pl- so please go on. So, so yeah, come back to when did you realize that, hang on a second, maybe this ejaculation problem that I'm having is a Bexpriprazole problem. Right. Um, so that was, I started, I cracked and I started doing some research and, you know, I find out, okay, it's primary action is a D2 and, you know, dopamine D2 and serotonin 5-HT1A agonist. So I start looking that up and then of course, you know, I kind of, my heart sinks, you know, into my stomach when I find um, all this research talking about ejaculation and orgasm and then the 5-HT1A serotonin receptor. And I said, man, um, and then I would even Google like Abilify because I know Abilify is kind of a sister drug to, you know, it's similar action, you know, same company, same kind of medication as Rexulti. And I found a couple people online, you know, talking about having gotten premature ejaculation from Abilify. Not a lot. I'm talking like a couple or a few people. And then, of course, I was like, okay, so I'm not the only one. And then, but it, it was primarily my looking up the mode of action. And I said, okay, well, now that I know it affects this receptor that's all over the literature as being heavily involved in um, ejaculation latency time. And, and, and orgasm, I said, okay, well, that's that's when I kind of connected the dots. And that was probably around the same time that I decided to just stop taking it, which, you know, in hindsight, uh, and again, this was an anxiety response to just stop and not tell my psychiatrist, like, so I don't know. And again, it's been four years. It's hard to tell um, how much changed before stopping the medication and then after withdrawal because i will say the two months or so two and a half months of withdrawal was like that was an absolute nightmare that that was and you know (laughs) how how long were you on the medication for before you withdrew so from memory i'd say probably about um let's see august september october november december i mean probably maybe six months Somewhere around there, I mean, I remember having been on it in August, and I stopped, like, I think December 20th in 2019. So, I might have been on it before August, but I can't remember. So, around that, you know, around that range. So, I'd say, like, six months is probably a reasonable estimate. Um, so, tell, tell us, what was the withdrawal like? So, and I wonder if... And again, this is part of why I feel bad. I'm like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm lucky I have this, but some of the experiences I read from other people with PSSD, um, it reminds me a lot of the withdrawal I was going through for a couple months because that was just, that, that was, that was an absolute nightmare. I mean, talk about anhedonia. Like I, I couldn't, I felt like I was in this, in the twilight zone, like this suspended, like this is not real. Um, everything was just horrible, like 24 hours a day. Like, and my friend came back, only comes back like once a year or so. 
to visit. And I remember we go, I go over his house and we get food and watch movies. It's usually a great time. And I just remember sitting there and it was like, it was hard to get myself to eat. I don't remember any of the movies we watched. Like I was totally trapped in my head the whole time. And this wasn't even really over the, I don't even know if during the withdrawal, I was even thinking about the sexual stuff. Like this was just a state of just abject anxiety that was unrelenting and also severe depersonalization, um, derealization. And I remember getting paranoid because people talk about akathisia and tardive dyskinesia. You know, thankfully I didn't have any TD symptoms, but I'm reading about akathisia and I'm like, is that what's going on? Like I'm having a hard time sleeping. It's like, I can't, I'm very restless. My mind's going and, but yeah, it was a, were you pacing? Yeah, I would I would walk around a a lot, you know. I'd just be up, you know, at night, and I'm just fidgeting, pacing, and like just this constant. So I remember just being like, "Thank God!" I remember there was distinctly, I think, a day, like a specific day, that it just kind of lifted, where I was like, out after about two two and a half months, I kind of felt like myself again for the first time. Like I I I never thought I was gonna. You know come back you know so to speak so okay and um okay so you made it back and then i guess so since so and since that time what has what have had what have the um uh, premature ejaculation symptoms been like Uh, i mean have they stayed the same have they gotten worse are they on a trajectory towards improvement so most recently, and this was probably about a month ago, um, you know, I had started experimenting with some techniques, and this is more, I don't want to say, for lack of a better term, like meditation techniques, you know, but it's basically somatosensory stuff. Now, I had a small degree of success um, twice within, I think it was like the last two months where it was very slow you know, very slow. It's like I was able to penetrate, first of all, which again, it had been about four years since that was even possible without ejaculating. And that was the first improvement. So the first, you know, from again, December 20th or before that, you know, 2019, up until about a couple months ago, um, I there was no improvement at all. You know, it just seemed stuck at this, like, I can't you know, virtually any degree of stimulation is just going to cause an ejaculation. So, and a couple months ago, um, and this is where I'm kind of wondering too, I'm like, is that concomitant with some of the more recent, you know, rectile dysfunction I've been having where I'm like, okay, maybe I was able to last for a couple minutes during intercourse for the first time. And I said, well, and who knows? Um, I I remember feeling really good after where I was like, oh my God, like this actually, you know, I never thought I was going to be able to do this again. So I was very excited, you know, I was thinking, okay, maybe there is some hope to recover, um, you know, some of my ability to do this again now. So, and I will say like, there were things like the prednisone that, that, that caused that what I guess I've heard other people call a crash. Now I have no idea what the neurobiological basis for that would be. Um, you know, I do know for a while, like the premature ejaculation was stuck where it was, was not improving, but you know, my erection quality actually seemed pretty good. And then I think it was maybe a year or two ago, 
it improved pretty significantly to where I almost felt like the erection quality was was back where it was. And I was like, okay, I've still got the premature ejaculation and the immediate loss of erection after that. And it's pretty much, you know, I'm like, well, that's not great. But I said, at least I have this going for me. And I guess to answer in one thing in a broad way, it has definitely caused this obsessive fixation on my sexual function that I just never had before. It, before this happened, everything was all based on like emotions. And it's also the other really weird thing is personality changes. And I can't really pin it, but before the Rex Ulti and I'm in this tailspin, I remember getting like crazy jealous, like thinking like, who's my ex sleeping with or this? And it would just bother the crap out of me like to no end. And then after all of this happened, I'm, it was just gone. And I'm like, in a way, it's a relief, but I'm like, I just couldn't. I'm like, if I had found out, it's like she's sleeping with this guy or that guy. I'm like, I don't really care. It's like it just kind of like this, you know, um, so how that's do you, how do you differentiate that from like, just say the tincture of time? You know, like versus, um, hang on a second, maybe I'm like blunted in some way. Right. And it absolutely, and this is again where, um, it, it's a, it, what's complicated too is again the isolation. I don't really hang out anywhere much. And it's like, that's part of why I'm like, man, if I got out and I see some girl I'm attracted to, I'm like, well, thank God I can feel, you know what I mean? It would be like, I'm so like attentive to this stuff now. That before it's like I'd feel like lonely and isolated and I don't have anyone now I'm just like thank god I'm out somewhere and I see some girl and or you know whatever yeah. and I'm like oh this is great I'm actually feeling something and I'm feeling some attraction because I went I was so freaked out that um that that well, was it's, completely it's gone it's like a trauma response you know and I mean essentially I mean you could say you've been traumatized I mean and I and it's easy to understand why. I mean, what what could be more frightening than just saying, "Have I just developed a lifelong sexual problem?" You know, that's going to be a shadow over all of my relationships moving forward. You know, when you're kind of in your youth, and so it makes sense to me that you would feel, you know, very aware and be thinking about it a lot, almost almost as if you had been through a, a, a serious traumatic experience, which is kind of what I, the, the box I would put this in. The other thing I want to comment on is something that you, that is really common in, in people that go, that have these side of these type of side effects. You know, I work with a lot of people who develop akathisia, that pacing thing that you, you had experienced, but maybe it goes on for several years, especially people who are develop injuries from antidepressants or benzodiazepines. And, they come out of it as different people. Um, just like you said, you know, the, whereas they would be bothered by things before, I mean, they're just overwhelmed by gratitude just for their body functioning because they've been, you know, essentially tortured for, for, for several years. And they're just like, thank God I don't feel like pacing right now. It's, and it's just a whole new way that they look at life. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... And it's so it's so bizarre to think about it because right? I think of this whole experience and still I'm kind of off in my own world. Like you mentioned, like a trauma response. And it's like I'm forgetting that I've self-isolated more than I ever have in my entire life. And it's that's saying a lot for me, you know, but um, part of my inner peace lately is like part of this is the gratitude 
And the other part is like, I've kind of compartmentalized my sexuality. It's like, as I'm talking to you about this, I'm thinking all the other people suffering with severe PSSD, like really, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I don't have it that bad. And I'm like, okay, well, this isn't too bad. But I'm thinking like, I've also in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm just never going to date again. Because I don't want to deal with the humiliation of like having to explain to someone why I can't have sex, you know, or why it's so difficult that like, you know, so I'm kind of have compartmentalized that to where, uh, you know, again, for the past four years, I've been pretty devastated over it. And that's something I still haven't overcome. So it's like I'm, I can feel okay in this little protective bubble bubble that I've made around myself. But I will find that um, when it comes to a situation where I might even consider, oh, maybe I could go on a date or whatever, it's just like that causes immediate distress. And I just kind of am like, well, this part of life isn't accessible to me anymore. You know, so like it, it, what you said makes a whole lot of sense. And I identify with that a lot to where how do you have this cognitive dissonance of gratitude and like, wow, I feel really good today. Cause I'm not suffering, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. but it's like, it's kind of compartmentalized with like, you know, I'll think back to, um, sexual experiences I used to have, like this whole feeling of getting really aroused and like being with somebody that I'm really into and having this just like passionate sex and being like, I can't do that anymore. Cause it's like, you know, like I want to, but knowing that. I'm going to have this reaction and I have to slow down and stop myself. Um, well, let me, let me say to you, do you think that your improvement, how much of it do you assign to time and your body healing versus the techniques and the meditations that you, that you started doing to control your body? Yeah. How do you understand that breakdown of what helped? So I think a big part of it, the, um, meditation stuff and again this is i think of a somatosensory thing and even in some of the clinical research i had looked up um one of them what did they call it like basal root masturbation or something where they have these men that had premature ejaculation and i didn't really do this but it's just evidence that perhaps behave behavioral techniques can help um they had men exclusively you know touch like the least sensitive part of the penis mm -hmm. to masturbate so like they basically it would be much more difficult to trigger this reaction and i guess after a few months they had some success you know but again we're even talking about success being defined as like okay well now i can go for 30 seconds instead of zero um, yeah sure. but i would attribute mostly to the techniques because if i'm not focusing on it um it'll pretty much go back immediately and i noticed the first um success that i had um, I'm pretty out of shape now. Again, I had COVID twice, so that's thrown into the mix as well. But I remember being cardiovascularly tired, so like I was only able to penetrate without ejaculating because I was so winded that I couldn't get a full erection. It was like just barely enough to be able to penetrate, but it was so the first success, and again, you know, success I had, I think was predicated on that. And then I was able to kind of calm myself down you know, for maybe a couple minutes. Um, so I think part of it is, you know, those kind of, and again, I'll call them meditation techniques where, and again, this is only twice and it was only one time where, you know, I've noticed things too, like this was a missionary position, which is much less sensitivity for me where I noticed oh. in some other, oh, oh, some other positions. And again, not to get 
too graphic, but there was like that, that was like an absolute, absolutely not. Like when I was on the Rexulti and I first noticed it. Yeah. Um, that like she was on top and like the sensation, I think like the pressure, whatever it was, I was like, that's just never, it's like, that's impossible. So like, and that was, <laughs> okay. and that wasn't yeah, like, sure. it, and I remember before, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the irony is before I got on the medication, I felt like I had just kind of like cracked it. Mm. Like I was doing some techniques as well and kind of centering myself. And I was like, Oh my God, I just, you know, we just had sex for like 15 minutes. And I was like, all, I was like, okay, maybe I can, fu- you know, get a grip on this. Okay. And then, you know, the medication started soon after, but yeah, the, I would attribute it just to the techniques. Cause if I don't, and even that we're talking like two, like maybe five minute successes in four years. And I have a feeling that like, if I don't laser focus on it and that's just to penetrate without ejaculating and maybe, you know, let me, and, and let me ask you this, the, the fatigue that you were having any, have you noticed any improvement with that or has that kind of stayed the same? Uh, so throughout. I think I have noticed an improvement and I don't want to, you know, jump the gun on anything. Um, I will say that it got very confusing when I got COVID, you know, because that, and I had COVID twice. So, and my fatigue went through the roof after that. I mean, and that was last year. So it's, it's difficult to isolate the Rex Ulti because now for the past year, year and a half um that's been very consistent you know and i have tried a couple i'm not gonna go off on a you know monologue here but a couple like natural approaches i was looking into and i'm always reading about health and potential things i could try and you know i will say that the first thing that got better was definitely the mental so regardless of where the physical is there definitely was a point where i have the sexual dysfunction and all the trauma that that's caused, okay, that's affected me, but there was improvement over time um, for sure with the, you know, what would I call it? Uh, brain fog, you know, just, okay. this, and, brain it's, fog. It, yep. and it's hard to differentiate too how much of the, how much of that too is like, now I've been practicing semen retention for like three years. So it's like, I was so distressed every day over this sexual well, what is dysfunction. That? What is semen retention? So semen practice. retention is just not ejaculating, you know, and, uh, you know, at least the, you know, from what I've read, um, they don't, this is more of like a Taoist thing, you know, so these people have been practicing this stuff historically for So is it like years. masturbating, but then not ejaculating at the end? Is that kind of? Yeah. yeah like okay. they're there because there is that whole no fap movement where people are like, oh, you know, no masturbation and this and that it. The irony is people that talk about that and say they have erectile dysfunction, like from excessive masturbation or porn consumption and all of this, my whole life before that, and it's like, you know, it's like I was masturbating a lot, never had any issues at all, like erectile dysfunction, Mm -hmm. I couldn't even imagine it. So, but these, yeah, the semen retention is, in, in a nutshell, is not ejaculating. So it's like there could be masturbation, but there's no... Um, okay. ejaculation and 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 the thought is that that will help with premature ejaculation if you if you engage in that practice consistently um well so the initial reason i got into it um or was so it more no. like, a, like a vitality thing you're like i don't want to like you know 
Yeah. So mine was, and again, this is weird because I only got into it after developing this problem. So initially, because they don't promote it as a way to help premature ejaculation. Um, you know, they, yeah, it's more of like a vitality thing, you know, but for me, I was drawn to it as a lifestyle. And even to this day, I'm still focusing on, you know, my primary focus would be, you know, learning at some point, even if it took years, like non-ejaculatory sex, you know, because like for me, um, and again, as far as sexual symptoms goes, it doesn't feel the same after ejaculation now, you know, it's like, I, it's just like, so this is like no payoff, right? You know, it's like, why ejaculate if the orgasm is muted and it just, and you just don't feel good after, you know, afterwards. Right. And I do yeah. want to, um, and I feel extremely fortunate for this. Like there have been times, like I've noticed it's like, I can have orgasms that almost feel like they used to, where I want to clarify that uh, there's two things, you know, if I ejaculate too quickly without stopping myself, then it's a muted orgasm for sure. But I've had times where it's like, and I had gone, I don't know, maybe two or three months without ejaculating and, then it could be, it's like, I have been able to have intense orgasms. I was like, okay, mm -hmm. thank God. And then I just kind of ignored like, okay, well, I'm losing my erection immediately. You know, um, that's, that's one thing. That's like one of the main things that signified something really shifted. Cause I never had that. And I'm like, that's where, you know, even if orgasms had, the ability to feel similar. It's like, it can't go to completion, you know, cause part of the completion is like, you know, maintaining an erection for at least a few seconds, you know, where it's kind of like, okay, now you've had the orgasm and now it's like this come down period instead of this. Um, like you said, the rapid D to which yeah. I guess is, um, I mean, at the very least kind of like unnerving because it just feels so unusual to you because you know what it's supposed to be like. And when, you know, like you said, you know, you have an orgasm and then like a second or two later, it's like, you know, completely soft. And, and you're just saying, well, what's with that? Yeah. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. even the immediate feeling like it's kind of like, as soon as an orgasm starts, it's like I already know. It's like no matter how hard I'm going to try, it's like I can just feel the erection starting to fade. You know, yeah. immediately from when it starts, it's like I know that it's going to be. So that's part of why with the retention, I'm like, okay. Um, and I don't know neurobiologically. I know I've read something saying prolactin levels could be elevated for even a couple weeks after ejaculation. And I'm wondering if there is some interplay because... I've definitely noticed it's like, uh, you know, ejaculation affecting me way more than it used to, you know, it kind of be like, I just kind of go about my day, like nothing happened before. And now it's just like, it has a very marked um, negative effect. So that's part of the reason I'm like, I don't even want to do, I want to avoid this as much as possible. Yeah. That's really interesting. Cause that's something that I have heard about before people who um, almost enter these states of, like panic and dysphoria after they have an ejaculate after they ejaculated. I mean, do you, so do you get this, like kind of this dread just wash over you afterwards? I mean, how would you describe the mood changes that follow ejaculation now? So, yeah, I would say definitely depression and like depersonalization and, 
I think I have heard what is it? I think POIS was post orgasmic illness syndrome. Yeah, you know, which some and I wondered. Um, you know, again, this is it's you know conflated with the altered sexual function. You know, so it's kind of hard to divorce it from this. Um, you know, reminder like, oh right, okay, I'm just going to try to relax and ejaculate, and it's like I can't get away from this feeling that it's a reminder that I'm not who I used to be and I can't perform like I used to, you know? So it's like, you, it's very, do you think it's, do you, I mean, do you think it's like a, like a psychological trigger or do you feel like there's something chemically wrong or like the wiring has gotten messed up that, you know, that, that you have an orgasm and then you're immediately in this mood state, you know, it changes your mood and then the thoughts come, or do you think it's more like, you know, it's this trick, this, this um, you know, this almost trauma like response where it's just, you know, having an orgasm is just immediately anchored to those thoughts. Do mm-hmm. you get how th- kind of the, those are different? Like one of them's right. like, yeah. Because I think but, the actual biological reaction, like the only thing I can say for sure is that before this condition, I would still be able to feel relatively aroused. You know, it's like obviously there's going to be a refractory period. But combined with like still maintain, maintaining an erection for a while. And as I remember, like, I mean, I would be able to get one in a, you know, a reasonable amount of time, maybe like five minutes, you know, something like that, sometimes sooner, sometimes later. Um, and I would still be into it, you know, it'd be like we'd have like great sex. And I'm like, now I'm still really aroused and like, I, the, you know, be diminished from ejaculation, but it wasn't like it was just over. Now it's like, biologically speaking, because uh, I wouldn't say there's any dread or distress. It's just like a total flat line, like a hundred percent where it's kind of like, I would try to force myself, you know, to seem like I'm still into it, you know, and try to like, keep going, you know, or like, do, I mean, obviously not. Oh yeah, of course. You know, yeah. That makes sense. It, but just the yeah. mental. So barring any distress, it's just a complete like. Absolutely. It's just kind of like we go from a 100, like, you know, as aroused as possible to like a like negative. It's like I could not possibly be any less interested. It's just 100 percent gone. And it's like it's again, it's been so long that it's hard for me to remember how it used to be. I can just objectively remember. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there would be like a refractory period and like I would be able to go again. And it was still like it wasn't like all of the. uh I guess arousal and passion were still there to an extent. Now sure. it's just completely 100% gone. And let me ask you this. Um, what have you learned from the Abilify cases that you've seen? You know, what, I mean, when you've read about people who have suffered from this, what, I mean, does it sound like the same as you, you know, do they get better? Like what, what have you learned from th- those so other I reports? S- I only saw a couple, you know, and they only mentioned the premature ejaculation. So, and before I forget, because I did want to mention, I just had a recollection as far as this refractory period goes, because I remember once she said, I'm, you know, with my partner and she goes, well, maybe we can try like you just go once and then we'll try again. And at first I was like, wow, I was able to get an erection after ejaculating within about one to two minutes, you know, sufficient for intercourse. But here's the thing that really got me is I was able to both get an erection to have intercourse and to ejaculate again after the first time. And I felt absolutely nothing through the whole thing. 
So like, even though the, the second time after I had ejaculated once, we go to try again and I'm like, okay, well, well, I'm able to get an erection. It wasn't a full erection, but it was enough. And I just noticed it's like the whole duration of intercourse, which is again, we're only talking like maybe five minutes. And it was weird because again, I felt like I feel absolutely no sensation at all. And I'm like, okay, well, at least I'm having sex. And then, then upon ejaculating that second time, like there was literally no sensation at all. It's like I could feel myself having the reflex, but there was just nothing. And I was like, well, that's like, that can't be, <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's again, like prior, it's like I'm used to experiences where, okay, you go again a second time and it's like, yeah, it's not going to be as intense as the first time, but it still felt good. Mm -hmm. And now it was just like the whole time. Um nothing it, it absolutely nothing so it was like after ejaculating that first time and again this was only about a minute later and of course at first i'm like wow i was able to get an erection again that's great but then i didn't feel anything so that's where the trigger to ejaculate was very perplexing because i wasn't feeling like aroused at all did you still ejaculate the second time i did but, i i but don't without really, feeling anything yeah and i don't think any like semen came out you know but it was like i it was the same exact you know you could tell it's like okay. i'm having the ejaculation reflex going off i can feel it but there was absolutely no sensation whatsoever and also it was just weird that you know and i'm in and out of maybe being about 80 to 90 percent erection and like 50 percent you know the whole duration of that intercourse over like five minutes and like but i couldn't feel anything and then it was just weird that um it was almost more these bodily sensations that triggered the ejaculation because it's like mentally there was absolutely zero arousal at all. So like I'm trying to like feel good that I'm like, hey, well, I'm having sex like this was the first time in years that I was able to actually have sex and I couldn't feel it. So it was very sure. weird to be there and I'm just kind of laying there like totally detached from the experience. And it's like I'm having sex, but I almost feel like I'm made out of plastic or something, you know? <laughs> And so are you are you currently in a relationship because I know this was fairly recently, right? So so this experience I want to say like that initial one that could have been that was last year. That was okay. at least 6 to 7 months ago, maybe 8 like it was sometime last year. And this um, was with someone new. This wasn't with the, you know, the long-time girlfriend that you had oh, before. Oh, this is yeah, all of these are the same. So this oh, the is same, one. Okay. And okay. that's like another thing too that I felt was a reasonable control because people said, well, could there psychologically be? And I'm like, well, I don't think so because again, even when I was still really broken up about the relationship before the medication, it's like we would hook up and it would just be like, I had no issues at all. It was like, you know, it was just like, again, the relationship's not there, but like on a surface level, it's like the sex seemed as good as it always was. Right. Um, and well, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, so I, I want to ask you now because I'm just realizing we're, at, we're we're getting close to when I have to wrap. What advice would you give to someone else that is having these problems? What direction would you point them in? What kind of resources and things like that would you say, hey, you might want to check this out? Man, okay, what would I suggest? I mean, just on a personal level, you know, personally, it's like I would prioritize, I guess, the anhedonia which I know I didn't really get into here. I know a lot of people struggle with it. Um, 
you know, I would say that the compulsive sexual thoughts are very difficult to deal with, and it's not going to seem healthy to recommend compartmentalizing it. But I think, um, you know, being able to kind of just, you know, accept that this is who you are now. You know, I remember actually the prednisone was from when I was scared I was going to have cauda equina syndrome, you know, which basically these people end up with like colostomy bags for the rest of their life. Some can't walk. So in line with what you said earlier about this, uh, you know, people with akathisia having this trauma response, you know, as, as, as much as I wish nobody had to experience this, I would say hold on to that feeling of any window that you get or any kind of moment that you feel like things are actually okay right now, even if it's for five seconds, like just try to hold on to that and really prioritize. I would even say make a habit out of doing that. I actually keep a, what I call a gratitude journal where I'm only allowed to write positive things and real experiences I've had, whether it's like I bought something I liked or I had some food I enjoyed. Um, every day because this condition will it's it will make you focus on the negative and just seek it everywhere and then affirming like you can't function you're broken and you're just going to get stuck in this loop and you'll feel it's justified you know because you have this condition and it's we know it's neurobiological like nobody's you know thinking themselves into pssd so i would say just keep something like a gratitude journal and try to without obviously invalidating yourself. This isn't about I'm not struggling or I'm going to, it's just try to slowly start rewiring your brain to find the things you can enjoy mm -hmm. as much as you can. And I also advise letting go of any anger and stuff as I'm still with the same psychiatrist um, that I was with. And it's like, I've spent a lot of time being angry and have to step back. Be like, look, there's people are as much in the dark as we are. So it's a tall order. So this is why I say I only speak for myself with this. I could never ask anybody else how to process their grief or anger or anything over this, but my personal it's advice. A, I mean, it's a good point. I, and I don't know if you've ever been on the medicating normal channel, but they did a, like an interview series. I think it was a couple of years ago where they had like four doctors or physician assistants who, you know, all had been injured by either antidepressants or benzodiazepines. And I always thought that was really powerful because it's that point that you make, like, you know, they don't know any better either. And it's like, you know, they're, they're doing the same things. They're taking the same drugs, you know, they're, um, you know, and occasionally they're running into the same problems. Um, I mean, it's just, it's so unknown. Um, but um, Matt, I've, I've, I've got a wrap, but, Thank you so much for coming on here and uh, and sharing sharing your advice and your perspective and everything like that. I think it's a really unique, uh, a really unique experience what you had, and I think it'll be really useful for for other people. So you know, many thanks. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Take care now. Right. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to see the full video interview, we also post these to YouTube. Just go to Wit During Psychiatry on YouTube to find those. You'll also find several YouTube exclusive videos from Drs. Yosef and Marissa posted several times a week. Finally, if you need help with your drug taper, getting a second opinion, or managing your post-acute withdrawal, come visit us at WitDuringPsychiatry.com. 
our sole focus is on helping patients regain control of their lives and achieve optimal mental health on as little medications as possible.